Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at a section here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, where Jesus is correcting their false views and interpretations in relation to the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Let me read the verses, make a few comments, and then we'll move on. You've heard that it was said by them of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So under discussion, of course, is the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And basically what Jesus is saying, you guys don't realize it, but there's adultery everywhere. Men, if you look at a woman, you lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And the same goes for women, though that's more of a learned behavior for women. It's more natural for a man to look and lust. He says, you've lusted after you've committed adultery. And then verses 29 and 30, he says, you need to deal drastically with sin in your life. Pluck out your right eye, cut off your right hand, get out of your life those things that are going to cause you to sin. Now, he's not talking in a literal way, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. We'd be going around this world with nothing but a torso. You can laugh. Because after my right hand sins, my left hand's going to do the exact same thing. But the point is, deal drastically with sin in your lives. And then he begins to discuss their misunderstanding and misinterpretation of Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. They misunderstood what the meaning of that legislation was. And they had all sorts of reasons that they were saying that you could get a divorce for. There were three groups of rabbis, and one said you could get it for adultery. Another said if she, your wife burned your meal, you could get a divorce. And the name I couldn't remember last week was Akaba. Rabbi Akaba said if you found a woman that was prettier than your wife, you could get a divorce. And they misunderstood what Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 was teaching, and that's what is under discussion here in verse 31. And when we looked at it last week, we understood that it was a very serious sexual offense, probably incest, that came out of Leviticus chapter 18 because of the use of the word nakedness of a thing and defiled abomination and caused the sin to land. It's a very serious offense. But the legislation doesn't come until verse 4. And it's interpreted the same way that Jesus is saying in verse 32. The woman has been caused to be defiled. 
The word defiled, of course, reminiscent of language revolving around the word adultery, but she was forced into that situation by her first husband. And that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 32, that if a man divorces his wife, he causes her. He's the guilty party. He's the one that forced this situation. And then if you marry somebody that's been divorced, you commit adultery. We live in a very difficult time, and I want to give some very practical, hopefully, practical helps to all of us to cure a lustful heart. I'm going to get personal. Because sometimes the word of God gets personal to help all of us. Now, some of this probably won't apply to some people here, uh, especially if I start talking about single people. Keep that in mind and teach it to your children or teach it to your grandkids. But I want to give some practical considerations to cure or to avoid a lustful heart. One of the first principles that I want to bring to us is that to negate an evil or a negative, there needs to be a more powerful positive or good in our lives. Does that make sense? So in other words, the day that I burned all of my rock and roll albums, it didn't do me any good to burn all those rock and roll albums and deal drastically with that sin in my life. I needed to replace that wrong music with what? something good, okay? And so how do we cure a lustful heart? Let's talk about believers in general. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4, if you would, please. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 to 27. So this is, this is going to be a, a different kind of message that I'm going to draw some principles from various parts of the scripture to help us in a very practical and personal way to cure or to avoid a lustful heart. The first principle is this, keep your heart. The idea behind that word keep there is guard your heart, garrison your heart, put up some walls. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 to 27. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. And that, that's some good advice there. Don't go in the same direction as evil or wicked men. Avoid that path. And that's the first word of verse 15. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away. Don't go in that direction, for they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some other to fall. For, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence, but the path of the just is like the shining light that shineth uh, more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They know not at what they stumble. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. And verse 23, keep thy heart 
garrison, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a crooked mouth and perverse lips, put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and thine idol is straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. In the midst of that, it says, keep thy heart, guard thy heart, garrison thy heart with all diligence. In other words, you're going to have to put some work into it. Do it with all diligence. What we need to remember, and we tend to forget this, and I don't know why, we need to remember that God sees our heart. God sees our heart. We tend to forget this. And I think the reason is, is God has become some theoretical person up in heaven, and we forget that as a believer, he actually indwells us through the person of the Holy Spirit. May I say this, that, that sometimes God is not real to us, and so we do not take this seriously. I'm going to give you a little insight into some struggle I had long, long time ago. When I was in college, I was an alcoholic. After that, I still struggled with it once I gave my life back to the Lord. At one point, I was asked to watch someone's apartment while they went on vacation. And I decided that I was going to take a walk around the block and clear my head, do some meditation. As I walked around the block, I didn't know the area. One of the corners, there was a bar, a saloon, a place where you could go in and belly up to the counter and get some drinks. And can I tell you that the only thing that kept me out of that bar, nobody would have known, nobody would have seen, there was nobody else around that knew me, I could have gone into that bar, I could have had some drinks, I could have gone back to the apartment, nobody would have known I've done it. And the only thought that kept me out of that, at that bar was that I knew God would see me. And the truth that kept me from sinning against the Lord was that God is omniscient and that God is omnipresent. What I'm saying to you in a word at that point in my life is that God was so real to me that I knew he would see what I was doing. We need to realize that God is real. He is a personal God. And the positive that we need to put into our lives to avoid the negative, the good that we need to put into our lives to avoid the sin, to cure and avoid a lustful heart, is to develop a deep, satisfying, and real relationship with a personal God. You see, we can go through the mechanics and religiously spend time in the word of God, but it never really becomes real to us. That's possible. 
You can read the Bible every day. You can go through a reading plan where you're going through it in one year, and the word that you are reading may never affect your life because you don't treasure it, and you don't have that real, deep, satisfying relationship with God. So I'm asking you, how real, how personal is your relationship with God? Your prayer life, your time in the word, how much does it change you? How real is it to you? Let me ask it this way, and, I, and this is not a possibility. I did this one time, and I, I got castigated for it. If it were possible for God to die, and he died this morning, how long would it take you to find out? And, and if he were to die and everything were to continue on just like it is and there were no problems whatsoever, how long would it take you to find out? Now, I ask that question for, the, for this simple reason. How real is God to you? Is he real enough to keep you out of walking into a bar at night when no one else would see it? To realize that you would be sinning against God, against Christ, the one who died for you. How deep, how satisfying, and how real is your relationship to God so that you can guard, garrison, and keep your heart? I told you I'm going to get personal today. Because the only thing that will keep us from sin is a love for God more than a love for sin. A love for God more than a love for lusting after women, to keep it in the context of what we're talking about. Number two, as we keep our heart, as we garrison it and we guard it, the positive we need to put in there is to have to set our affection on things above. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then, it really should be translated since, since then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Two things here. Seek those things which are above, and set your affection, set your mind on things above. Someone has once said, you know, that it's possible to be so, earth, so heavenly minded, you're of earth, no earthly good. My response to that is, I don't think it's possible to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Because if we are heavenly minded, if we are seeking those things which we're above, if we are setting our mind, our affection on things above and not on things on the earth, we're going to serve Christ. 
it is possible to be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. That's the point. We need to guard our hearts. We need to set our affection on things above. Number three, stay away from others who will lead you astray in this area. That's what Proverbs chapter 4 was talking about. Don't go in on that pathway. It is what the people of this earth, what unsaved people, it's what they talk about, it's what they think about, it's what they seek. So stay away from those kind of people. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. We need to stay away from people who will lead us astray in this area. You cannot associate with wicked people and not have it affect you. Now, folks, that would include the books we read, what we see on the Internet, what we see on the TV, all of these are tainted with impurity, not just people, but other forms as well that show, glamorize the very sin that we should be avoiding. Stay away from things that will lead you astray. Very simple. And if it's a problem for you, get accountability. Especially for the Internet, we talked about... Uh, Covenant eyes. Number four, we tend to minimize this and we don't talk about it enough, but number four is be rightly related to the Spirit of God. Do not grieve, do not quench the Spirit of God. It is through the Spirit that we are able to, and we we're talking about it in Sunday school, that we are able to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Do you realize when you were saved, the day you were saved, the day you were regenerated, God gave to you what we call the seal of the Holy Spirit. And it's not some impersonal seal. The seal is the Holy Spirit himself. He is the down payment of what we'll experience in glory. We need to be rightly related to the Spirit. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and following. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Do we even know what that means, to walk in the Spirit? And notice what it says. If we're walking in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. One of the things that will help us to cure and avoid a lustful heart is to walk in the Spirit. So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to mortify the flesh? For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. The first one in the list, adultery, 
fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, wrath, factions, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and the like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. We live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. There's two different words for walk used in this passage. One means to keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, as the Spirit is leading us and we're living our lives, we're keeping in step in step, in sync, as it were, with what the Spirit is doing in our lives. And the other word means to, to walk by means of the Spirit, or we walk by means of the power of the Spirit. We need to be rightly related to the Spirit of God, and folks, that doesn't make us Pentecostal. It means that we recognize that God, when we saved us, when he regenerated us, he put everything within us so that we could live and please him in the person of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that we lack. We have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. All things. Nothing is lacking. Now, folks, think about that for a moment. The day you were saved, the third person of the triune God took up residence within you. That'll keep you from a lot of sin right there. Wherever you go, the Holy Spirit is with you. Think about it. And we have that power within us to put to death the deeds of the flesh and live in a way to please God. Be rightly Related to the Spirit, learn to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And it says, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, that's a whole sermon, and it's a, any one of these points are a whole sermon. I'm giving you some very practical advice that you can look at, meditate on, and study for yourself. Number five. For me, this, this is a big one. Realize who you are sinning against. Realize who you are sinning against. And also, of course, realize that what you're about to do is a sin. You remember Joseph, the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 39 and verse 9? He's talking to Potiphar's wife, and he says, Nor has he kept anything Back, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. And then he says this, how then can I do this great wickedness? First of all, he recognizes it as sin. And sin against, not your husband, sin against God. Maybe something that's helpful as we look at partaking of the Lord's table shortly, is to realize that that sin that you're about to commit is what put Christ on the cross, what caused his suffering. Realize who you are sinning against, a holy God that loves you, 
saved you through Christ, put his spirit within you, and gives you the ability to say no to that sin. Next, just like we read there in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 to 27, simply this, men don't look. Don't look. That commercial comes on, turn it off. I always remember something Scott said in Sunday school about all these little pictures that come up on Fox News or whatever, all these things you can see on your smartphone. Don't look. Guard your eyes. Do what Paul did. He says, I keep under my body. Literally, he's saying, I beat my body into subjection. I force myself not to look. Remember, Proverbs chapter 4 says, put blinders on. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Look straight. That's sometimes hard to do. But do it. Don't look. Guard your eyes. Figuratively beat your body into subjection. Now I'm going to get personal. What about married? That was believers in general. Let's talk about married people. How many here are married? Just raise your hand. Come on. Wives, you need to help your husbands. You must help your husbands with this sin in this sex-saturated society. And may I say, don't ever have the attitude that it would never happen to your husband. Because it can There was a man in the Bible. I love this statement about this man. He was a man after God's own heart. Who am I talking about? David. A man that was so in love with God. We have psalm after psalm after psalm. Probably one that Matt read this morning from David. A man after God's own heart. He committed adultery. Don't ever have the attitude, it'll never happen to your husband. And so how can you help your husband? How can you help your wife? Very simple. Keep each other fulfilled physically. Keep each other fulfilled Sexually. Sex in the marriage is a privilege, but it is also an obligation. Let me repeat that. Physical intimacy in the marriage is a privilege, and it is an obligation. Neither the husband nor the wife is to defraud the other of that physical intimacy that they're supposed to experience together. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. The husband should fulfill 
his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, we don't like this part, but listen what it says. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's pretty personal, isn't it? They make this statement. You're not going to like it. It is wrong. It is wrong for the wife to have a headache every night to avoid physical relations. And it is equally as wrong for the husband to lose interest in his wife, not physically, but to lose interest in his wife romantically and not dwell with his wife according to knowledge and go out and spend the night out with the boys. Those intimate physical relations must be a normal and regular activity in a healthy marriage. Men, remember this. Those intimate physical relations with your wife, they don't start in the bedroom. They start with flowers. They start with helping with the dishes. You know, there's all sorts of memes or whatever they call them out there. And, you know, they talk about what it takes to get a man aroused, and there's one little switch. And then there's a picture of what it takes to get a woman aroused, and there's switches and dials and gauges and all sorts of stuff. You know, it's funny, but it's true. We're wired differently. Men are. For the ladies, it takes a little more than just walking into the bedroom and saying it's time. The point that Paul is making is to avoid Satan tempting either one of you. You're not to deprive the other of those intimate physical relations unless it's by consent. In that marriage relationship, you need to grow in that one flesh relationship. Of course, the physical relationship, the body is involved. But folks, there's more to us than just the body. There's our soul. That's our intellect and our emotional side of our natures. So there comes a point, folks, in our marriage relationships that we need to share interest in some of the same things as our husband or as our wife. We need to be interested in what the other one is interested in. Men, sometimes that means you need to go shopping with your wife. Or gardening with your wife. Well, that doesn't mean just so you can have the wallet, Karen. <laughs> the point is... We need to be interested in one another. 
interested in what the other is interested in. Wives especially must show an interest in what her husband is doing. And here's why. In some cases, maybe in most cases, the husband spends a good part of his day with other men and other women who are interested in what he does and with women who keep themselves attractive and dress nice. And so you need to take an interest in your husband's job. And men, that means you need to take, take, take an interest in what your wife is doing while you're at work. Maybe she spent the better part of four hours trying to find a new recipe that she could make a dinner for you to enjoy, and you pass over that like it's nothing. Take an interest in one another. And then, of course, there's the spiritual side of our natures, which means we are helping each other to grow in Christ. Next, wives, do everything you can to keep yourself attractive for your, wife, your husband. Do everything you can to keep yourself attractive for your husband. No man wants to be greeted at the door with a woman, doesn't have any makeup on, hair is... Is the word disheveled a word? All over the place. Sweatpants and a t-shirt. And she takes the baby and hands it to the husband and says, Here, you deal with this. Remember what I said? He's probably dealing with women who have kept themselves attractive in the business world. And he comes home and what's he see? That also goes for the men as well. We need to keep ourselves attractive for our wives. A wise preacher once said, what you did to win him or her, you must do to keep him or her. The reason we see so many sinning in this way is because we're not working at our relationship with our spouses and possibly added to that, we don't think it'll happen to us. Now, husbands, let me give you some advice. Told you I was going to get personal. Listen to your wives. Talk to them. There are wives who go on the internet just to get somebody who will understand and listen to them. And if she's already doing that, she's already formed an emotional attachment to someone other than you. Meet the emotional needs of your wife. Peter says, dwell with them according to knowledge. You know, you, you realize when Peter says that she is a precious vessel given to you as God's gift, treat her as such. Meet the emotional needs of your wives. You know, a, a wife does not start out in a physical relationship with somebody. She starts out in an emotional relationship with somebody. 
Men, don't ever, under any circumstances, criticize your wife publicly. You want to hurt her? You criticize her in front of other people. Treat your wives with respect. Defend your wife and help her to grow spiritually. She is God's gift to you as your helpmeet. A preacher I know that I heard at a camp one time, and I never forgot this image. God gave you your wife. And you know what? She is spending every waking hour taking care of you, and, 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 and the life is just being sucked out of her because she's taking care of you. She's God's gift, precious gift to you. Take care of her. Meet her needs. Single people. Now, I know we might not have single people here, but this is something you can teach your children or your grandchildren. For single people, young people, Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. So the first key to young people, unmarried people, is to flee Youthful lust. Now, that would apply to a husband as well who might get himself into a place where he shouldn't be. Flee from that. But you know what? Some people miss the most important part of this verse. Yeah, the idea is to flee. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and underline that little word with. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart the friends that you ought to have, the people who will be helping you in this area are those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. You should be fellowshipping with God's people. Number two for single and young people, teach your children and grandchildren this. Don't even put yourself in the position of temptation, ever. Never alone with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, ever. No touching at all, no physical contact, nothing that will excite the passions or drive the flesh to want more. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, 1-2, Now concerning the things of which you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. That's pretty clear. Don't touch at all. Next, for young people, especially dress appropriately. Yes, your bodies are maturing. You want others to see and appreciate how you look, but dress modestly. Fathers, mothers, Teach your children how to dress modestly. Number four under this, and this really does apply to everybody, memorize and use the word of God. 
memorize and use the word of God. Remember we talked about, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, against thee. That word hid is the word treasure. Now, the last time I preached this, there was a little something going on here between Lori and Larry. So I'm going to ask Lori, you have something that you treasure, right? Okay. What do you do with that? You take really good care of it. Okay. Really good care of it. You protect it. You clean it. You put it in a prominent place where people can see it. And no kid's allowed to touch it. Even Larry. <laughs> you put a new cat. See? We all have things that we treasure. Think about those things that you treasure, be it a gun, a knick-knack, whatever. We all have things that we treasure. We need to think about God's word that way. We're going to protect it. We're going to dust it off. We're going to put it in a prominent place. Thy word have I hid in mine, my heart, because it's out of the heart are the issues of life. In other words, we are going to so treasure God's word, so fall in love with God's word, that we're going to put it in the best place we know, the best place that will affect our behavior and our character, our hearts. All sorts of verses that we could use there. But I like what Job did. Job made a covenant with his eyes. They wouldn't even look at a woman. The sinful nature of man is like dry firewood that the, that, that the least spark will ignite. And so we do need to be on our guard against the smallest of temptations, the smallest of enticements, be they come from people or books or the internet, at the very first signs of a spark or a flame, we need to run. And we need to suppress that corruption within. We cannot feed the flesh. 1 Corinthians 6.18, we need to run from sin and temptation. Remember, Joseph ran. He left his cloak behind. But he ran. David didn't run. Joseph did. Why must we flee? Why do we need to run? Why, why is this area any different than other sins? You see, in most temptations, knowledge and reason work together to help us avoid the sin. But it's not the same with sexual sins. There's something that operates in sexual sins apart from knowledge and reason. The sexual passions, the instincts, instincts are so strong that they are not avoided by knowledge and reason. The sexual passion operates against knowledge and reason. No couple sitting alone, be they married or unmarried, reasons out the advantages or the disadvantages of premarital or extramarital physical relations. Once the passions and the desires are ignited and begin to burn, nothing will stop them except from running from the situation. What if we failed already? 
Well, as I said last week, God forgives. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a God we have. God will pick us up from where we're at, and he will set us on the way he wants us to go. So negate an evil or a negative, there needs to be a more powerful positive or good. And that means that our hearts have to be more in love with God and more in love with our wives than anything that's going on in our lives. We need to treasure the word of God in our hearts. We need to love righteousness more than we love sin. We need to hate sin because it's sin and all of its ugliness that put our Savior on the cross. And we need to understand the place of those physic, that physical intimacy in relationships, and it is, of course, in marriage only, and in only enjoyed in that context. Marriage is a God-ordained institution. The bottom line is Matthew 12, 33. The heart has to be changed. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. And folks, this isn't an easy area, but we have to have such an ongoing, real relationship with God, walking in the Spirit, that we are being changed into the image of Christ day after day after day after day after day till the day we die or we will sin in this area. I talked to a wise pastor one time, but he wasn't wise in this area. We were discussing someone and the sin they got involved in, and it was a sexual sin. And I made the statement that it can happen to anybody. And he looked back at me and he says, no, that can't happen to anybody. Now, he was a older than me and a lot wiser than me. But I walked out of there thinking, that man could fall one day. And so we have to approach this in a very humble way. We need God's help. There's no other way to avoid this. We need God's help. Period. Especially in the society in which we live today. We need God's help. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Father, I pray that you will help us to avoid a lustful heart. And I pray that your presence within us through the person of the Holy Spirit would be so strong and so real to us that our relationship to you would be so vital, so life-giving, so real and dynamic that we'll not sin in any area of our life, but Lord, we realize that we will sin, and we thank you for your forgiveness ahead of time. Forgiveness that is based upon the cross of Christ, in whose name we pray.